He's gay. I mean, he's gay. Excuse me. He's blind. If you're at lunch, or if you have no appetite, now is a good time to switch off the radio. It will not be pleasant listening. Welcome to the Lawrence Ross Show. You sound a little taller on radio. A two-hour weekly exploration into the mind of a man who calls it like he sees it, but he can't see his audience. So what if I'm blind? At least I don't have to look at your ugly face. Want to interact with this fool? Call or text the comment line. 813-602-2715. Hope you enjoy the program because no refunds will be issued. Don't write it and we'll do it live! The Lawrence Ross Show. How's it going tonight, everybody? Thank you for tuning in. Live on TF52.com or Radio Chaos, K-A-O-S.net, or you can check it out on TuneIn Radio. Search either one of those fine stations. We're on there. As is tradition... Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in tonight. If you would like to get a hold of me tonight, love to hear from you. 813-602-2715. That is the text line. It's also the phone line you can use. Would love to hear from you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Hope to know that you're out there. Uh, getting gay. Now that I took... Okay, now that... Okay, now that I took care of that, just want to get into some other uh, general housekeeping stuff. If you want, if you don't want to call in, you'd much rather do uh, social media, you can do that. Uh, Twitter.com, at Blind Lawrence, uh, Facebook.com, forward slash LRoss1987. Uh, also, uh, check me out on Instagram, that's also Blind Lawrence, and also my YouTube channel is YouTube.com, forward slash Lawrence Ross. And check out the store, teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash Elross1987. Got a lot of stuff up there. Got the uh, cloth face masks. Got those. Got the uh, neck gaiters. Got t-shirts, mugs, bunch of stuff up there for y'all to enjoy. Okay, takes care of that. And turn the microphone down for a little bit. And uh, before I get going into anything, ladies and gentlemen, I want to send a very special birthday shout-out. And a very happy birthday to former show contributor Matt Davis out there in beautiful Florida. Beautiful South Tampa, Florida. Happy birthday, man. Hope you're having a great day. Hope this finds you well, man. Hope you're doing well for yourself, man. Sounds like you're doing pretty good for yourself on uh, Facebook from what I've... Uh, from what I've read, man. 
All right, there we go. I had to uh, cut that off because I'm not sure. Because I'm not sure. Because I'm not sure what the licensing fees are to have music in your podcast. Because I remember back in the day when uh, Phil Hendry, when he first introduced, that's when I first heard the word podcast. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, I remember I was listening to Phil one night as I uh, always did, or if I couldn't catch it live, I'd usually catch the. Uh, the the replay on the backstage pass or sometimes i'd even sneak in late at night on the on the live feeds so i could you know kind of like you know get ahead as to what wfla would be playing the following evening but i remember phil would talk about phil was the first guy to explain what podcasting was and i remember for about a good month month and a half or so no i'm sorry about i'd say like two three months like two three months it was going pretty good and then phil started reading all these emails from listeners who would always say hey phil really love your show man but your first hour was only like seven minutes what happened there and phil would always have to explain that what they would have to do is they would have to strip the music out of the program to where you couldn't hear any music so it would just like it would like fade in like right it like right in the middle of him talking so it would kind of seem a little so it seemed a little out of sorts for a little bit but then they eventually got it going to where the music was stripped out yes but you could still hear the announcer, the announcer dude, come on and say stuff like, And now, for something very, very wrong. The Phil Hendry Show. 1-800-449-8686. And it was cool having that, but it still feels kind of strange without having that little music behind it, which I've always been, always been a proponent of. All right, now it's time to get into the personal recaps, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, uh damn. Jeez, uh, you know, I gotta, uh, boy oh boy oh boy <laughs> time for me to take my lumps i guess stand by come on in there come on in good evening good evening video audience oh hey stewie oh i see that you're drinking water you took my advice finally took you like three months yeah, well, at least I'm drinking water tonight. Yeah, at least you're drinking water tonight. Yeah, you see that now? We won't be saying that 10 years down the road when you pass the damn kidney stone. Jeez, man, you, you, you love going to the kidney stone thing, don't you? Well, yeah, man, I mean, you got Pepsi Real Sugar in your refrigerator. So what does that mean? Oh, what does that mean? Oh, wow, uh, hey, Blindy McBlinderson, here's what it means. You're gonna die from a kidney stone one of these days, man. It ain't gonna be fun. So I'm going to find you, man, dead from a kidney stone. That's my diagnosis. What are you, a doctor now? No, no, I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying. Yeah, you're just saying. Oh, boy. So, yeah, so Friday night, I was pretty much like a night owl. I was up uh, for a better part of the night listening to old music and uh, singing along to it. Yeah, oh, and by the way, you know Gavin Rossdale, you're not uh, Robert Plant. You're not any of those guys, man. Well, uh, what are you saying? Well, you can't really carry a tune all that well. Well, wait, wait a minute, man. Hang on a second. I, 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 thought, I thought last week you said that the uh, song I did was really good. Well, yeah, it was, but that was just beginner's luck, man. Not actually beginner's luck. I mean, I've done it before, but it was like the first time I ever really recorded me actually legitimately trying to sing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for you. You want a cookie? No. Well, good, because it has a lot of sugar in it, and uh, that's going to be a downfall, man. Oh, gosh, all right. And, oh, speaking of songs, I got a brand new song, by the way. I recorded on uh, 
Saturday. Yeah, the one that took you four hours to record. Well, it didn't take me four hours to record it. It just took, it took about like, well, it took about 30 some odd minutes for me to get everything all going. And then it took a long time to try and decide, you know, pick out the clips I wanted to use and all this other stuff. And well, I'll, 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 I'll get to it later. Hey, spoiler alert. I've heard it. And, uh, the social justice warriors, when they hear it, man, they're going to be coming for you, man. You're going to be next on cancer culture, man. It's going to be all over for you, dude. Yeah, it's going to be all over for me. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure it is. I'm, I'm really shaking. All right. Uh, so, yeah, so Sunday, uh, laundry, and then uh, work was work, really. And uh also, also been working on some other stuff too. I've been writing some other stuff that might come to fruition one of these days. I have a brand new uh, list tonight that I'm going to be uh, presenting, which I'm going to present a little later on in the second hour because that's why I want to debut the song and uh, other things of that nature. Well, the nice thing is that it, well, spring is coming, so that's really nice. But spring, it seems like it doesn't really exist around in Kansas because it seems like it's nice weather for about two and a half, three weeks or so. Then next thing you know. It's April, it's like mid-April, and it's already like 93 degrees outside, the humidity's at a certain level, this and the other, and I'm still not used to it all that much. I mean, I'm originally, well, I grew up in New York, but I moved to Florida, and I grew up in Florida for a majority of my life, and so I'm used to that heat, and that, and this particular dry heat is just, ooh, it is, it is a tough one to get through, man, but you know, hey, I'll persevere. No problem at all. Yeah, okay, yeah, sure you will, man. You're the guy who comes in sweating buckets. It's not every day, man. And look, dude, we just go back to the couch and just, here, look, dude, here, hold on. Hey, dude, here's your iPad. And uh, here, I'll I'll, I'll get Hulu on there for you. All right, which one do you want? You want Mike Tyson Mysteries again? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that as a yes. Sorry about that. All right, so takes care of all that stuff and uh been a while since we've had him on the program i'm gonna go make myself a little something to eat make a little uh and make some pizza rolls or something where's this damn music at dang it where's it at oh oh all right hold on i gotta let him know sir got your music ready thank you all right welcome back to the lawrence ross show mr jim rome and you guys, you guys enjoy Jim. I'm gonna go make myself a little. Uh, I'm gonna make myself a little, little bite to eat. Hang on a second. Hey Stewie, you want anything? You want any pizza rolls or something, or uh, uh, a burger, or uh, some of that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, you want some chips or something? I'm not you, man. I'm enjoying a real nice apple. Try it, man. It's healthy food. Bastard. All right. All right, you guys. All right, okay, okay. I got okay. I, okay, I actually got to deal with this doing in the kitchen about something while 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 I make my uh, my meal. So uh, y'all enjoy, uh, Jim. Take it away, Jim. Thank you very much for the praise. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Somebody voice impersonating. What is up? A tremendous Friday to each and every one of you in the jungle in Los Angeles. I am Jim Rome. Hope you all had a great week. 
Getting ready to fill out your March Madness brackets. March Madness, what a great sport that is. That is a great game. That is a great set of games. Of course, you notice how almost every single coach, when the game is all said and done, sounds like he just contracted laryngitis because he just got done yelling at his men to run up and down the court a little bit more. Get a little more passion behind it. Get a little more punch behind it. And you got a good team. That's the secret to success right there. All right, the only real thing I got in regards to the sports world, really big thing happening, Drew Brees announced his retirement. Now, clones, save me all of your retirement home smack emails, tweets, texts, and what have yous. Because I'm not reading them. Because it's old and tired stuff. All right. Checking into the emails real quick. Some of these emails are not good, clones. Not good at all. Hey, Ben Smack, now that Drew Brees has retired, does this mean when he's 75 years old, is he going to be able to pass that colostomy bag with extra speed? All right, Tyler, in Louisiana, you're blocked. Block! Block! Right out of the gate, starting with the geriatric jokes, which are not funny. They're old as dirt, and it will get you right here in the jungle. Block! Block! All right, another email. Hey, Ben Smack, how long before Drew Brees gets his dentures intercepted during the night of bingo? That's from Carl in New Jersey. Carl, you're blocked. Block! Because I will tell you this right now. Shuffleboard does not seem like Drew Brees' game. He kind of seems more like a bingo player. That's what I see him doing. But naturally, when it comes to retirement, when it comes to retirement, I think that Drew Brees is going to be a commentator. He'll be doing play-by-play or color commentator with my man Al Michaels or my man Jim Nance. Jim Nance is a great guy. I think Jim is misunderstood. Horribly misunderstood. Check that. Jim Nance, horribly misunderstood. He is the Bob Ross of sports. And I say that in the most loving way possible. He has a very soothing complexion about himself, a very soothing voice as he takes you through Augusta as Tiger Woods Tees one up at the 17th green, only to have it slice, because according to some clones, Tiger is past his prime. That's not true at all. I think Tiger still has maybe a few good years left in him before he decides to hang it up and retire. Who knows? Maybe one of these days, we will see Tiger Woods on the green, giving somebody their golden jacket as part of the Masters. That is going to be a great spectacle, clones. Hope you're all there to see it. All right. Another email. Dear Romy, how long before Drew Brees is next to Jim Nance yakking up about the Dallas Texans, about, <clears throat> about, about the Washington football team in 2020? Yeah, that's a really good question, Chad and Austin. Very good question. How long does it be? How long will it be before Drew signs a lucrative deal which will get him paid? He will be jumping around the same way Typical dude does when he's on Maury Povich and he finds out he is or is not the dad. All right. Another email. Dear Romy, do you think Drew Brees will take first place in the oatmeal eating contest at Sunny Acres Nursing Home? All right, Roy in New York. Roy, you're blocked. Because I don't know about you, but Drew Brees trying to eat tapioca yogurt and tapioca pudding when he's 75 years old that is not funny 
That is not funny. What is funny, though, is accosting fish guy at work. That is fish guy right there. That is exactly exactly who Carl in New York is. Carl in New York is fish guy. He is that guy who microwaves the fish the night that he had the night before in the break room during his shift at work. He is that guy. Whatever you do, clubs, don't be that guy or you'll get blocked. Block! Block! That is the way that things operate here in the jungle. That is how things have always operated here in the jungle. Just let you know real quick, my March Madness pick. You know, honestly, honestly, it really is not the same without having those fans there. So I'm honestly not going to, you know, so what? So clones, I'm not going to give you my pick just yet. You'll have to follow me on Twitter to see my March Madness pick. And clones, I don't want to get into with you about how Kentucky is better than Iowa or how Stanford is better than Yale when it comes to passing the orange ball. I don't want to get into that debate, clones, because I'm just not into it, man. Not my thing. Never was, man. All right. All right. Well, hit the wrong button. Travis. Travis, Travis, my dude, you hit the wrong button. Bye, man. All right. Wait a second. Are you t- wait? Are you tell wait? Are you telling me that I, that that's all my time for this week? All right, unbelievable. All right, thanks for tuning in to the Jim Rome Show. Got to make sure the blind guy's back from the kitchen. Make sure he doesn't fall over anything. The Lawrence Ross Show is back. Take it away, dude. Back to the Lawrence Ross Show. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, Jim, thanks for rolling down the fort there, man. Not a problem. All right. Fantastic, man. Great to, uh, always great to have you uh, uh, hanging around. So, uh, what did you say, man? You, uh, uh, you, uh, you enjoy a uh, Sapphire Red? Damn right. Sapphire Red. Good stuff. Drink responsibly. All right. Thank you, Romy. You're welcome. All right. Okay. Want to get into this, uh, uh, Okay, I want to get some news stories here. Then, then I got a couple. Then I got a couple things from weird history that might take a lot of time. And then I'm gonna. Okay, well, I'll, I'll comp- I will compartmentalize when it's when, when it's re- when I'm up for it. When, when I'm when when, when I'm when I need to do it. All right, here we go. All right, now this this is this this is a very disturbing case, and this this reminds me a lot of this guy Joshua Haken. Now, Joshua Haken, back in 2013, because I remember, I remember this because uh, we covered this uh, when it first when it first happened. Joshua Haken and his wife they were uh, they lost custody of their kids, and so their kids ended up in I think it was I think it was somewhere in Florida. It was it was Tampa, I think, if I remember right. And so one day, Joshua Haken kidnaps his kids. And tries to bring them back to where you originally lived, which is which was Mexico. And then, and honestly, don't I honestly don't remember all the ramifications of the case. But what I do remember is that I think he had an Infowars flag or something like that, which means that he was, uh, which means that he supports uh, Alex Jones. Alex Jones, for anybody who doesn't know, is this radio guy who he's very loud, and uh, he's been known to say some very controversial statements. In fact, one of the controversial statements actually got him in a lot of hot water. And I think rightfully so, too, because you can't 
be going around saying this kind of stuff and not and and a not expect any backlash but also to uh not realize that you're offending a lot of people uh back in i want to say it was like 2000 well when, when whenever he started making this very scurrilous claim he made the ridiculous claim that the sandy hook shooting was a false flag he claimed that it was it was a drill nobody nobody died there etc 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 because alex jones he's one of those guys who yes he doesn't trust the government but he takes it to the extreme to the point where it's almost laughable and to, and to the point where he actually he where, where as i say he, he got sued by some of the family members of the sandy hook tragedy claiming that it was uh a false flag and nobody died there of course you know of course he got sued for saying that and uh, and 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 i guess freedom of speech didn't necessarily prevail because i think he had to pay he, he had to pay a pretty big amount i remember all the details right but uh this is just a small sample of what alex jones is like and this this is just a sample by the way and this, this clip has since been removed from youtube but he was talking about something or other and it led to him just dropping this outburst I I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. <laughs> Which is just so laughable because how exactly can animals like how exactly can animals turn gay? That that's that's my question. I honestly don't know. But getting back to this story, this is about a guy who he kidnapped his own daughter. And I honestly don't know what the outcome is. I haven't seen any updates on it, but this this is still a very frightening story. Let's listen to this from Fox 13, Tampa Bay News. She is 17, and she's being held against her will. Here she is. Her life is also in danger, according to authorities. That's 17-year-old Daphne Westbrook. She was taken from her mother's home in Tennessee two years ago by her own father. And tonight, there is a nationwide search for Daphne that is now shifted to the Tampa Bay area. Let's bring in Fox 13's Evan Axelbank live at FBI headquarters in Tampa to update this. Update us on the investigation. What more do you know, Evan? Well, this is quite a large investigation. Authorities, law enforcement believe that he may now be taking her from Colorado to family that he has in Highlands County. They know for sure that they are up against an expert in disguise. The many faces of 41-year-old John Oliver Westbrook to go along with 20 email addresses and his use of Bitcoin, the untraceable cryptocurrency. Oh man, you know that that Bitcoin. I mean, I, I, I've been I, I looked into it one time. Uh, I looked into it one time, and it is damn expensive. It's like like eight thousand dollars for one Bitcoin, and then it's like, okay, what what do we, what do you do with the Bitcoins now? I mean, like I, I know it's a virtual currency. I still don't know how it truly works. I I don't know if it's like I don't know exactly how it works. I've heard you can invest wisely in it, but I don't know. It's something I'm a uh, babe in the woods about. Like a lot of other things. Yeah, shut up. Which he uses to buy things. At one point, he's bought hair dye and uh, false teeth to disguise their identity. His ex. Wait, wait, hang on a second now. Hair dye and false uh, uh, hair dye and false teeth. How 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 exactly how exactly do you transfer that into Bitcoin? How exactly like like how exactly does it work? Does does he, does he like like what exactly does he does he does he does he get like a PayPal? Oh, uh, what does he have like an app on his phone and does he like swipe it at the counter and he goes, yeah, you guys accept Bitcoin? Yeah, okay, perfect. I want to buy this. Uh, 
Yeah. Okay. I want to buy uh, blue fifty-two and these uh, and and this set of false teeth. Not the wind-up one with the key, but the real false teeth. The dentures. Expertise in secrecy is partially why he's been on the run since October of 2019. Investigators say his 17-year-old daughter, Daphne, has been prisoner after he took her from her mother's home in Chattanooga. For whatever reason, uh, this individual has taken it upon himself to remove any choices or rights that she has. The Hamilton County District Attorney says he's kept her drugged and her cell phone wrapped in tinfoil. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, so I wonder, okay... Now, if he's keeping her drugged and he's deprived her of her cell phone, who knows what else he's doing to her? Now, I'm not saying that he is doing it to her, but I wouldn't be surprised if he, in fact, was practicing incest with her. That is just my opinion, because we don't know what this man is capable of. This man is very dangerous. He's taken her around the Southwest, most recently to Colorado. But after she was able to message a friend she was considering suicide, a grand jury indicted John for aggravated kidnapping. There you go. I, w- I wonder if uh, I wonder I wonder why she didn't just hit the little hit the lock button on her phone five times because that can call nine one one for you. Uh, or uh, again, I'm not sure what kind of phone she has, but still. I mean, elite. I mean, you know, good, good for you know, good for her that she was able to reach out and get herself, you know, you know, and 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 get get the wheels in motion to help her get out of this horrible predicament. They believe he could be headed to Sebring because of recent communication with his sister Starla Westbrook, who lives there. She also goes by Charlena Peters on social media. Authorities say she has not been cooperative with investigators. That family sticks together. So I, I, I can only imagine what those phone calls must be like. But still, I mean, if, if she's defending him, then this this shows me that she has no regard for uh, Daphne Westbrook in any way, shape or form. Continuing. There's not a whole lot of other places or people that he trusts that he can go. And so we're trying to touch each of those areas. Across the country, media coverage has been extensive as investigators try to flush him out. They believe his daughter is in danger for a number of reasons and want you to keep an eye out for anyone who looks like them. Also, they believe their dogs, Strawberry and Fern could also be along for the ride it's a individual that doesn't have care regard for one another's health or well-being and it's his daughter yeah it's a sociopath is exactly what he is no regard for other human lives except themselves sociopath narcissist that sort of thing real bad egg total toxic person can't deal with them One piece of evidence that they are desperate to track down is what type of vehicle they may be traveling in. They knew early on that he was in a pickup truck, but at this point they say they're still trying to figure out exactly what he may be headed to Florida and if that is indeed where he is headed. They do say that this was all triggered by a custody dispute with his ex-wife, with her mother. At this point, they do say that she is being cooperative with this investigation, Mark. Yeah, so there you go with that. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I hope, I mean, I hope there's a happy medium in this, but again, I'm, I'm not exactly holding my breath for it. But anyway, let's see what I want to get in here. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I was meaning to get into this last week, but uh, time constraints, man, time constraints. And uh, this past Monday was 
the anniversary of the. Let me try that one again. Try that one again. Okay. This past Monday was the anniversary of the assassination of Julius Caesar, and I've gone on record on this program by laying out my disdain for Julius Caesar because this guy disrespected a blind person, blew him off when the guy was trying to warn him about something, and uh, I think Caesar got his comeuppance. I have no sympathy. I, I had no sympathy for Caesar when he got knifed in the uh, uh, in the Juli- in uh, in the play by William Shakespeare. And uh, so yeah, so these this is this interesting. This this from Weird History on YouTube. This is what happened to the people who assassinated Julius Caesar. So here we go. The most famous of the assassins was Marcus Junius Brutus whose name was immortalized in the quote, A2 Brute, which translates to, and you too, Brutus. I wonder if, <laughs> I wonder, I, I wonder, wonder if when Shakespeare was writing that, I wonder if he, I wonder if, I wonder if he drafted, I wonder if it was in the draft, like was it, fuck you, Brutus. No, it, it, in all fairness, it, it probably wasn't that strong of a punch when Shakespeare was writing that, I don't know, but either way. If you're impressed by how eloquent Caesar was while being repeatedly stabbed to death, don't be. These words were actually written by William Shakespeare. For the record, two different ancient historians, Plutarch and Suetonius, both report that Caesar said nothing as he died. Really? So that leads me to believe, what were they doing? What were they doing when he was getting knifed? Were they, were they, were they, were they just standing around just talking about what's happening? Like, oh, I can't believe this man. Oh, jeez. Oh, he just got knifed. He just got knifed. <laughs> you know? And, and, I wonder, and I wonder what the crowd's reaction was. I wonder, I wonder if there was one guy in the stands that was like, Come on! Get him in the jugular! <laughs> hey, in all fairness, the nice thing about the Julius Caesar assassination, at least there was no one saying get in the hole after he got knifed right in the face. You know, there, there's none of that, thankfully. You watch too much television. Wait, wait, wait. What, what's that stupid? You watch too much damn television! Shut up. As far as anyone can tell, his last words, delivered in Latin at the beginning of the attack, were, Casca, you villain, what are you doing? Shakespeare did have a source, though. Well, I wonder, what, Casca, you villain, what is, what is, what is, what, what's, what exactly, what's Casca? What's Casca, Latin for fuck? As in, fuck you, villain, what are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, because, I don't know, I don't know, some guy tried to stab me, I... I wouldn't be all that eloquent about it. I'd probably go like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have time to make like an eloquent speech like, you know, like, et tu, Brute. No, man. I'd be going, oh, oh, oh. Gosh, Glenn Beck called. He wants his drama queen card back. Oh, shut up. He was rephrasing something he found in an ancient account, which reported a rumor that Caesar's last words were, Kaisu Technon. Or you too, my child. So yeah, <laughs> look at the guy. Even kind of like question, he says it with the question inflection. He's like, "You too, my child." Like, is that real legitimate, or we don't know? Some have taken this to indicate that Brutus was Caesar's biological son. This wh- wh- what indicate that it's his biological son? Eh, that's something. Well, no, well, well, they didn't have Father's Day back in the day. It's like you know, it's like. <laughs> I mean, sheesh, I can imagine that's been like, like, oh, you know, oh, such family love. Stab. 
would make sense since Brutus's mother, Servilia, was in fact Caesar's mistress. Okay, wait, hang on, I want to back up something here. Back this up real quick. Rumor that Caesar's last words were, Kaisu Technon, or you too, my child. We already heard Some this. Some have taken this to indicate that Brutus was Caesar's biological son. This would make sense since Brutus's mother, Servilia, was in fact Caesar's mistress. Somebody call Maury Povich. We need to do a, uh, we need to do a DNA test on these guys. See if uh, that is in fact the case. Continuing. However, historians maintain that technon was merely a term of endearment and wasn't meant to be understood literally. Brutus was actually one of Caesar's protégés who came from a family that was strongly anti-tyrant. This alone could explain his involvement in the conspiracy, but it's also possible he resented Caesar for making his great-nephew, Octavian, his adopted son and heir. Yeah, in the story, the beginning of the story, it shows everyone hanging around the square or whatever and everyone's milling around and... Brutus and his cronies, they see Caesar walking by, and everyone's going nuts for him, and Brutus is all like, what's going on here, man? All you, you know, all, all, you know, all you guys are fickle, man, you know? Y'all didn't like him back in the day, now you guys are kissing his ass? What the hell, man? And then he's, and then there's a part where he's talking with his conspirators and whatnot, and he's saying, hey, look, man, this guy has seizures, this guy's deaf, this, that, and the other, let's kill this dude. <laughs> Wow, that's man, and you, th- and you thought politics today was rough. I can I, I can imagine what the smear campaigns must have been like back in like forty four BC. But in all fairness, they you know in all fairness they didn't have political ads. They didn't have flyers or anything like that. I mean, they're probably like little they're probably like little bits of parchment that like floated by in the wind, and you'd pick one up and it would say, uh, you know, vote for Caesar. Or then there'd be another thing that would float by. It'd probably be something effective like, don't vote for Caesar. He's a tyrant. Uh, that sort of thing. Anyway, continuing. After Caesar was gone, Brutus and his ally Cassius found themselves at odds with Octavian and his ally Mark Antony. Brutus ultimately wound up fleeing to Greece, where he spent some time listening to philosophical lectures, building an army, and minting his own coins. The final conflict with Octavian and Antony came in 42 BC at Philippi. Brutus and Cassius lost. In the wake of... Yeah, a.k.a. they died. That's what happened. <laughs> and I just love... I, I love how matter-of-fact the guy says that Brutus and Cassius lost. I, I love that. I, hang on. I, I, I want to hear that again. In the wake of defeat... Dang it, Brutus hold on. Cassius lost. Brutus and, I, Brutus and Cassius lost. <laughs> yeah, big time. Yeah, the, the, the ultimate prize for that? A stone right on top of your chest as your corpse is dropped six feet below the ground for the worms to feast on. Yum, yum. In the wake of defeat, Brutus took his own life by impaling himself on a sword. Wow. Okay, so that's kind of like Harakiri, I guess. I, I guess he was so ashamed of his loss, he was like, oh, well, I want to walk around for the rest of the world like this. I'm just going to I'm just gonna end it all. Hey, Brutus, take a tip, man. 1-800-273-8255, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Could have saved him, but nope. And in all fairness, they didn't have phones back in the day. Once a supporter of Pompey, Cassius eventually grew to favor Caesar instead. Over time, though, he became concerned by Caesar's accumulation of power and dictatorial behavior. That wasn't his only problem with Caesar, though. Cassius had his own eye on the highest office in Rome. Pardon, Caesar, Caesar, pardon. As low as to thy foot doth Cassius fall. And felt slighted that Caesar didn't give him a military command in the war with the Parthians. Oh, boo-hoo. Okay, look, I mean, you know, the guy's not going to be... It's, it's not like... 
it's it's not like he's giving military accolades to every Tom, Dick, and Harry who walks past him. No, no, no. You, you got to earn those accolades, man. And I guess, I don't know, I guess it slipped his mind. Maybe I guess he was like, uh, this guy, Pompey. Uh, oh, crap. You know, I forgot about him. Anyway, Caesar also took possession of some valuable lions that Cassius was planning to bring to Rome for his sponsored games. Was he trying to like the Lion King or something? Is he trying to gather the pride or something? Or hey, I, I wonder, I wonder, if, wonder if Caesar ate any of the lions that he didn't uh, that he didn't bestow upon whoever. I don't know. Just, 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 just a theory. I don't know. As if all that wasn't enough, there are also suggestions Caesar might have had an affair with Cassius's wife, Tertia. Maybe that's why Cassius stabbed Caesar right in the noggin during the attack. Ouch! Damn, man, that's brutal. Man, you know today, today, today that's today that's a today that's an old-fashioned bar fight. Back in the day, like everybody turned out to watch. Everyone was there to see it happen. I wonder. I wonder if. I wonder if. I don't know. Anyway, continuing. Cassius was defeated at Philippi along with Brutus. History. Man, in all fairness, this Philippi place doesn't sound like a fun place to visit, you know, because you might die there. I, I don't know. Anyway, continuing. Gorge that when he saw Brutus's forces overcome, he had himself decapitated by a nearby freeman. Brutus took it hard. He called Cassius the last of the Romans and had him buried on the island of Thassos before returning to the battle. And wait a second, hang on, man. Now, hang on, a second now. You're telling me, you're telling me this dude got to, this dude asked to be decapitated, or he just I don't know. Hang on, I, I gotta hear that again. History records that when he saw Brutus's forces with Philippi along with Brutus, history records that when he saw Brutus's forces overcome, he had himself decapitated by a nearby freeman. I wonder what if there's a mercy killing. I wonder if he went to the freeman and said, "Hey, look, man, I just saw a bunch of my." You know, I just saw you know, I just saw a bunch of my I just saw a bunch of my friends just get killed. So can you do me the honorable favor and just chop my head off? Thank you very much, Governor. Slice. <laughs> oh boy. Brutus took it hard. He Yeah, yeah oh, no kidding. Wonder I wonder if what if he was crying? Oh man, my man's dead. This sucks. He called Cassius the last of the Romans and had him buried on the island of Thassos before returning to the battle and meeting his own fate. Yeah, when he fell on the sword because he lost the battle. In Shakespeare, when Caesar says, A2 Brute, it's clear who he's talking to. But in real life, it might not have been. There were actually two Brutuses. Decimus Junius Brutus Albinus, however, is the decidedly less famous Brutus. <laughs> He's the one that like nobody really knows about. And there was actually because I'll never forget when I was in English class learning about this play. There was a part where a guy who had the same name as one of the killers, he was on his way to the funeral and. And they start stabbing him. Basically, they're they're like he's he's, he's on his way to his funeral. To, he's on his way to Caesar's funeral to pay his respects. And they ask him, "What's your name?" And he says, "Oh, my name is I don't know Cassius or whatever the heck it was." And all of a sudden, next thing you know, this dude's getting stabbed or clubbed or whatever it was. But either way, he didn't make it to the funeral. So sucks to be him. But yeah, but this uh, this other Brutus guy. I mean, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if he was aware of the other Brutus. And I wonder if he was like, man, that other Brutus isn't shit, man. I'm 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 the real deal. Bitches, I, I honestly don't know. Anyway, getting back to this. Famous Brutus. He was Caesar's right-hand man during the conquest of Gaul and had become something like a little brother to the dictator. 
Despite this, he was one of the masterminds behind the plot. Oh, he turned against him. Who turned on him. Why did Decimus turn against his friend? It's believed that Decimus didn't feel aptly rewarded for his loyalty. Today we call that not liking your friend's Facebook post to their kitchen. <laughs> I think. I, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, maybe that's comparable today. I don't know. Oh, what the heck? What the heck? Uh-oh. I just mess it up. Wait a minute. Ah, dang it. Oop. Jumped out of my dang element. Stand by. Get back into it. There we go. Something up in there that was really weird, like like the, the page jumped around and the, the window jumped around. Just get back to doing your damn show. Get back to eating your Pringles, dick. Dick. Douchebag. Douchebag. It's my line. Douche. For his loyalty. The last straw might have been when Caesar indicated he was going to make Octavian, rather than Decimus, his heir. Oh, man. That's pretty cold-blooded. Caesar was like, no, nah, I like this guy. Uh, sorry, uh, other Brutus. Uh, you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. As Caesar's trusted friend, Decimus was by his side 24-7. What? Wait a second now. 24-7? What was he? What was he? What was he giving him round-the-clock medical care? What was he? What was he? What was he? Scrub, what was he? Scrubbing him down with a little scrub brush? What was he? What was he? What was he? What was he? Watching him like a hawk while he was doing every little thing? He was like, all right, Caesar, you're, 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 you're doing great. Uh, you got to get a new toga because you got to clean this one up. There you go. This allowed him to provide the conspirators with insight into the dictator's state of mind. Uh-oh. <laughs> so that's that's how he knew all the stuff. He was like, hey, look, man, he's got this, this, and this happening against him, so that's another reason to kill him. It also let him manipulate Caesar to the conspirators' will. Mind fuck. He mind fucked him. Or as we call it, say, gaslighting. Gaslighting, uh, manipulative, very complicit activities. Yeah, if, yeah, uh... I'm pretty sure that if this were YouTube, I'm pretty sure that uh, Brutus would have been canceled by now, or he would have gotten some sort of demonetization where you can't make money off your videos anymore. That's probably what would have happened to him. I don't know, but continuing. In fact, it was Decimus who convinced Caesar to ignore the warning he had received and go to the Senate House on the day of the assassination. Oh, okay. So he was like, hey, look, man, just go, just go. Because I always saw in the play, it was like, it was, it was, it was, it was a part where there's that part where the night before the big day, Caesar's wife is a nightmare and everyone tries to comfort her, butter her up. Like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I wonder if after Caesar left, I wonder if, uh, I, w- I, w- I wonder if any of the, I wonder if the conspirators just had their way with her. They never tell you that in Shakespeare, do they? No, they don't. In the wake of the attack, Decimus wound up fleeing Rome and disguising himself as a Gaul. Pansy. Huh. The Gaul of that guy. <laughs> No, he's a pansy is what he is. His one-man witness relocation program didn't last long, though. <laughs> yeah, because they didn't have the witness protection... In all fairness, they didn't have the witness protection program back in uh, 44 BC. Mark Antony arranged for a Gallic chieftain to lop off the head of Decimus and send him the head, which he eventually buried in Rome. <laughs> send him in the head so he can bury it in Rome. Wow. Man. Man, they, 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 they did not mess around back in the day. Servilius Casca was the first man to stab Julius Caesar. Wait, wait, hang on. Casca, doesn't that, that, that reminds me a little bit of Costco, you know? 
the uh, uh, the big box store. Love their pizza, by the way. Yeah, you like the pizza, but you eat it and then you can't get fat. Yeah, I know, man. I <laughs> you're throwing me off my game, Stewie. According to the historian Appian, Servilius went for the dictator's throat, but missed and won. Nope. Bad, bad aim. But missed and wound up getting him in the breast. Oh, I don't know if that's any better or worse, but still, I mean, hey, at least hey, at least he got his mark pretty quick. He, yeah, he got his target, but it was a little bit lower than he expected, I guess, but still. Caesar managed to push him away, and according to Plutarch, this is where Caesar uttered his true last words. Accursed Casca, what does thou? Or more informally, Casca, you villain, what are you doing? It's at this point that... Or, or if you want to update today's uh, standards, you probably be like, Casca, what the fuck are you doing up in my business, man? What the hell, man? <laughs> Quit photobombing this, man. Come on, man. I'm trying to get mainstream followers up. <laughs> Dude, don't stab me with that selfie stick. Ouch. Servilius Casca asked his brother for help, and the other attackers moved in on Caesar. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on a second now. Hang on a second now. So let's get this straight. He just... Okay, so Casca just stabbed Caesar right in the breast. He... Then... Then... Then Caesar says... Costco, what you know? What are you doing? And then Costco asks for his backup. Wouldn't it make sense for him and his backup to just storm him and just try and just stab him every which way, up, down, left, right, side to side, diagonally, all that stuff? Servilius briefly became the tribune of the people, but his success was short-lived. He would ultimately take his own life after the loss at Philippi. God damn, man! Yeah, that man. <laughs> Man, this is loss at Philippi, man. Every, everyone's dying from the loss at Philippi. I mean, you know, in, in all fairness, they didn't, you know, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't have death benefits back in, you know, back in that time frame. It's not like it's it's like you go walk up to like a merchant and say, something like, oh, thou if my friend Brutus dieth at Philipp, uh, Philippi, what thou with benefits do have for thee? <laughs> Seriously. I gotta say, this music is really good. Servilius stabbed Caesar first, but his brother Gaius Casca was second. The writer Nicholas of Damascus tells us that Servilius excitedly called to his brother in Greek to get in on the fun. <laughs> what, what are those like? Hey, man, come on over here, man. Dude, get him, get him, get him, get him, get him. Gaius obliged by driving his sword into Caesar's side, and it is believed that this wound was likely the one that ended Caesar. In the end, Gaius would also take his own life along with his brother after Philippi. Sheesh. Another Philippi. Sheesh, another Philippi related death. Or death, I should say. Tribonius was, by all accounts, an ambitious man. And even though Caesar regularly rewarded him for Tribonius, who's coming up with these names, man? These these names are really strange. And just and just when you thought certain people named their kids really bizarre names, you got this: Tribonius, Caesar, Brutus, Cosc, uh, 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 um, uh, you know that other guy, whatever his name was. Yeah, it, it's it's a land. This is crazy. For his service, he was one of the first to join up with the conspirators. 
According to Appian, on the day of the assassination, Trebonius's job was to stall Mark Antony by engaging him in conversation outside the portico of the Theater of Pompeii. How the heck do you do that? How do you, how do you stall for time back in the day? Like, what do you think you're supposed to do? You're supposed to talk to him about, what, like a play y'all saw the other day? Or comment on the weather? What, what the heck do you do? Although it is worth noting that Plutarch claims Decimus Brutus was the one who performed this task. After Caesar's demise, Tribonius managed to get himself appointed proconsul in Asia. But, like the others, he wouldn't get to enjoy the fruits of his victory long. Oh, uh, let me guess. He killed himself at Philippi after, the, uh, after Brutus died. Tribonius eventually offended a powerful ex-Caesar supporter named Dolabella by not allowing him into the city of Smyrna. Not being the kind of guy who enjoyed being told no... Dolabella had Tribonius arrested, tried for treason, and eventually murdered in his own bed. Dolabella then let his soldiers use Tribonius's head as a ball, rolling it through the streets until it was completely crushed. Well, isn't that pleasant? Damn. <laughs> that, that, is, that, that, that is something to consider. So they were kicking around like a soccer ball. Jeez, until it broke. Damn. That's brutal. Cinna, whose sister was once married to Caesar, didn't participate in the actual attack. However, he was extremely dedicated to fanning the flames of unrest against his ex-brother-in-law. He was just cheering him on in the background like, Come on, man! Get him! Get him! Get him! Get him! Get him! They were once very close, but by the day before the assassination, Cinna gave a vitriolic speech against Caesar. Oh, man. And you thought some of those family feuds were tough. <laughs> like Hatfields and McCoys? This 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 is this is brutaler than that. Once the deed had been done, the public associated Cinna with the attack. A mob ran through the city looking for him, and when they found him, they took him out. The only problem was they got the wrong Cinna. Oh, uh oh, wrong guy. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> you really whacked the wrong guy. <laughs> Gosh, how do you mess that one up? You know, I wonder. I wonder if. I wonder, wonder if there's like a Roman equivalent to the phrase, you had one job, you had one job, and you blew it! The man the mob whacked was a poet named Helvius Cinna, while Lucius Cornelius Cinna got away and managed to live another 40 years. Oops, wrong guy. Mista <laughs> mistaken identity. In 44 BCE, Caesar made Tilius Cimber the governor of Pontus and Pathania, which should tell you something about the kind of respect Caesar had for Cimber. Empathinia, I'm not sure what that means. Look it up in the dictionary! At the same time, Caesar stubbornly refused to issue a pardon to Cimber's exiled brother, who had been a supporter of Pompey. This refusal is likely a big part of what convinced Simber to join the conspiracy. Uh, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. I mean, hey, you didn't pardon my man, so uh, now I'm going to really get it on you. It's going to be bad for you, sir. Real bad. All right, continuing. According to Suetonius, Simber was the first to grab Caesar. He latched onto his toga and pulled the dictator into a position. That toga! 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 No group hug here, man. Made him easier to stab. <laughs> Caesar responded by yelling out, Why, this is violence. What? <laughs> wait, wait, wait a second now. He said, This is violence simply by somebody grabbing his toga and pulling him close. Oh, jeez. What a, what a wuss. After the deed was done, Simper fled back to Bithynia, from which he was apparently able to furnish some aid to Brutus and Cassius before their defeat. 
History does not record how or when Simber died, although many historians believe it's likely he met his end along with the others at Philippi. Damn, man, that <laughs> that Philippi place, man, stay away. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Stay, stay away from Philippi, man. It's no good. There were two Brutuses, so why not two Cassiuses, right? We know that Parmenides once taunted Octavian for being... Parmenides. You know, not for nothing, but Parmenides... Uh, uh, but that... That's just like the name of, like, a pasta dish you get at Olive Garden. You have the uh, Parmenides with the extra penne sauce and a uh, glass of your finest uh, red wine, please. Thank you. Being the grandson of a baker and a money changer. In a letter, he said, Your mother's meal came from a vulgar bake shop of Aricia. This is a money changer from Nerulum, kneaded into shape with hands stained with filthy lucre. This is possibly the oldest recorded mama diss in history. <laughs> I find it very hard to follow. Why couldn't they just say something here like, Hey, man, uh, your mom made this crap. Having survived 13 years after the death of Caesar, Parmenides was able to make a name for himself as a writer. He wrote numerous plays, and while none have survived, the titles of two, Thyestes and Brutus, are still known today. Eventually, Parmenides became allies with Sextus Pompey, the son of Pompey the Great, a mistake that would prove to be his downfall. Uh-oh. <laughs> Keep your friends close, your enemies closer. In 31 BC, Sextus was defeated at the Battle of Actium by Octavian. In all fairness, at least it wasn't uh, Philippi. Menenus was executed, making him the last of Caesar's assassins to be taken out. Galba served under Caesar in eastern Gaul, and Caesar blamed him for nearly losing a legion in the winter of 57 BC. Oh, boo-hoo, man. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he just had bad dictator skills. It would be but the first of many conflicts Caesar would have with Galba over the years, including the loss of a consulship and a dispute over a debt. Eventually, the bad blood pushed Galba to join the conspiracy. After it was done, Galba was captured and sentenced to the afterlife. His family would live on, though, and Emperor Galba, who ruled for seven months in 68 to 69 AD, was his descendant. <laughs> wow. Little is known of Labio, but Plutarch records that he helped Brutus figure out who to include in the conspiracy. After Caesar was gone, Labio served as Brutus's legate. He is most notable for the manner in which he perished. According to Appian, Labio literally dug his own grave. Then, in accordance with Roman custom, he took his most faithful slave by the right hand and whirled him around, thus granting him freedom. Finally, he handed the newly freed man a sword and asked for him to slit his throat. Sheesh. As Appian wrote, his tent became his tomb. <laughs> There's a mercy killing right there, folks. Another Decimus. This one was once an ally of Antony and fought by his side at Actium where they were defeated by Octavian. While building Antony's fleet, Turilius had cut down parts of a grove that were thought to be sacred to the god Esculapius. According to the writer Valerius Maximus, after Antony had lost the battle, Octavian commanded Turilius to be put down in the very grove he had desecrated. Damn. Man, like I said before, they didn't play around back in the day, man. If you... <laughs> If you messed up, man, they, they, they'd kill you. After fighting against Caesar in the name of Pompey, Ligarius was banished from Italy. 
Cicero. Hey, get out of here, you, uh, yeah, you, uh, hey, you know, you know what you did there? You, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, you killed the guy, and then, uh, you know, now we're gonna banish you. Hey, uh, don't come back, uh, you, uh, douchebag. I was eventually able to convince Caesar to allow Ligarius to return, but Ligarius never got over it. Plutarch reports that rather than being grateful for his pardon, Ligarius was offended by the power which had put his life in jeopardy. What a dick, man. I mean, you know, if you get pardoned, be happy. <laughs> Don't bite the hand that feeds you. He was a great friend of Brutus and considered himself an enemy of Caesar. Ass kisser. Sadly, history does not record what became of Quintus Ligarius. Well, we know that Quintus Ligarius wasn't at Philippi. Minochasaw served under Caesar in Gaul. <laughs> Minochasaw. Minochasaw. That's just like, like you have a sauce. You get it. Like uh, like an Italian restaurant. You get some uh, Minochasaw on this. Uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, just a little bit on the garlic bread. There you go. Was charged with crushing the forces of the rebel Ambiorix. Long story short, Ambiorix got away and Minochasaw himself wound up getting attacked. Caesar considered the loss an embarrassment. Minochosaw participated in the Caesar party and is most notable for being the guy who missed Caesar and accidentally cut a fellow conspirator named Rubius. Oops. According to Appian, Minochosaw was taken out by his slaves, some of whom he was mutilating by way of punishment. It was a revolt. All of the conspirators hated Caesar. No kidding. Clearly. But one man, Aquila, really hated Caesar. One time, when Caesar was receiving a public honor, Aquila refused to rise for him. Caesar, in one of the earliest recorded acts of trolling... He was protesting back then. <laughs> hey, they didn't have the national anthem, so, you know, he, he, was, he, was, he was doing it for, uh, I don't know, Roman lives matter, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> recorded acts of trolling spent the next few days refusing to make promises to Stand anyone. By. Promises to Caesar, in one of these... Caesar. One time, when Caesar was receiving a public honor, Aquila refused to rise for him. Caesar, in one of the earliest recorded acts of trolling, spent the next few days refusing to make promises to anyone without adding, that is, if Pontius Aquila will allow me. It was infuriating to Aquila. Oh, well, no kidding. But you've got to admit that it is kind of funny. In a very ancient Roman way. <laughs> After Caesar was taken out, Aquila became one of Antony's lieutenants and is recorded as having been killed in a battle by Aulus Hirtius's forces during the siege of Mutina. Yet another inauspicious ending for one of the conspirators who helped take out the great and mighty Julius Caesar. Yeah, so there you go with that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, going into the break... Coming up after this, I got a brand new song I'm going to be debuting about the uh, snowflakes. And let's see, what else do I got on this thing here? Yeah, I got a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I got a bunch of stuff here, so. Let's see that. Where's that one thing? Oh. There we go. Okay, good. Just want to make sure I have my stuff ready. All right. This is the Lawrence Ross Show on RazRadioLive.com, R-A-S-RadioLive.com, or RadioChaos.net, K-A-O-S.net. And I'll be back after this. Thanks for listening, everybody. 
This show is about making the people happy while you enjoy whatever has been selected for the great. Lawrence is stepping away from the microphone to fill up on his leftover Taco Bell. Nobody going to bathroom for about 35 or 5 minutes. The Lawrence Ross Show will return after this. Thing that we wanted, that's why we sing for these kids who don't have a 
thing Except for a dream and a fucking rat magazine Who post bitter pictures on their walls all day long Idolize their favorite rappers and know all their songs Or for anyone who's ever been through shit in their lives So they sit and they cry at night Wishing they died So they throw on a rap record And they sit and they vibe With nothing to do But with the fucking shit in their eyes That's why we seize the moment Try to freeze it and own it Squeeze it and hold it Cause we consider these minutes golden And maybe they'll admit it when we're gone Just let our spirits live on Through our lyrics that you hear in our songs And we can To get involved in the program? Ain't nobody got time for that. Call or text the comment line 813 602 2715. Get off the phone with you, you wacky prick. This is the Lawrence Ross Show. Now back to our regular program. Lawrence Ross Show. How's it going? Hope you guys enjoyed that. That was Eminem with Sing for the Moment off of his The Eminem Show album, cut number 12, where he samples uh, Dream On by Aerosmith. Hey, Aerosmith's not complaining about it. Steven Tyler seemed pretty cool with it. And I saw something about Eminem, and it somehow resurfaced for some really messed up reason. But it was the article about... it It was about the time when he was set to perform the song Stan at the Grammys with Elton John. And there was so much backlash when that happened because a lot of people were thinking, oh boy, Eminem has said very homophobic stuff back in the day. He continues to say it. Why is Elton John hooking up with him? Why is this happening? But you know, you gotta admire Elton John because his his mentality was, "Hey, look, man, I don't care in regards to what he says. I love his music. I heard that he jumped at the chance to perform with him. By the way, he's like, oh hell yeah, totally, I'll do it.' And he and that that appearance is legendary because at the end of the appearance, they hug. And it's beautiful, man. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's actually known as the hug heard around the world, and people just went nuts when it happened, man. 
And to this day, Elton John is kind of like Eminem's sponsor, and he's he's really helped him out over the years, helping him cope with uh, helping him cope with uh, his uh, drug addiction over the years. And uh, so, yeah, it's 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 a very unlikely thing having Elton John, you know, the Rocket Man, teaming up with a guy like Eminem. But hey, I mean, hey, stranger things have happened, you know. And uh, that is just I, I just find it to be so cool. All right, now top of the second hour, I'm gonna be uh, cracking into a uh, Pepsi with real sugar. Ah, good stuff. And uh, while I enjoy that, uh, uh, figuring in this new song that I did, this is the original. Oh wait, hang on, I didn't have the thing plugged in. Dang it! <laughs> Take two. All right. <clears throat> now into this new song that I wrote. This is the original. It's by Stone Temple Pilots. It's called Creep. And it's uh, from 1993. It's from their album Core. I'm going to play a little bit of it for you so you all know what it is that I'm uh, doing here. So here we go. So that's the original there. And uh, for a while, actually, there were some people who thought Kurt Cobain did that song. And the song, they thought it was called Half the Man I Used to Be. But alas, that was not the case. And uh, just a little side note, when I read that Scott Weiland had died, I frankly was not all that surprised. Because he had such a checkered past with drugs and alcohol and all this and other substance abuses. So, anyway. Where is it? Okay, here it is. And the name of this... Okay. Name of this is called Snowflake Song. And, uh, well, hope you guys enjoy it. And this will be up on the podcast for y'all to enjoy at your leisure so here we go 
Snowflake song on the Lawrence Ross Show. Hope you like it. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. You can't handle the truth. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I am getting tired, really getting tired of these cocksuckers. It's Generations Lame. You suck! All they do is complain. Ah, boo-hoo! What's their fucking deal? Freedom they want to steal. North, east, west, and south. These douchebags should shut their mouths. Shut up. They rant and rave online. For that shit, I've got no time. Hey, where's your sense of adventure? Take a fucking chance, will you? Bunch of goddamn pussies. Goddamn pussies. Pussies. Cannot say man or woman. That's their fucking spiel. Woo, woo, woo. I'm PC, bro. I'll throw down. Gender neutral is their plan. How's that make you feel? I'm as mad as hell. Mad as hell. Pissed off like the Taliban. The language police. Lingo Nazis. They're fucking myopic pussies. All you snowflakes practice fake outrage. They're all fucking myopic pussies. All you snowflakes practice fake outrage. They're all fucking myopic pussies. All of you snowflakes practice fake outrage. They're all fucking my epic pussies fucking my epic pussies they're only words it's the context that counts it's the user it's the intention behind the words that makes them good or bad the words are completely neutral the words are innocent creators under fire walking on a high wire can't have any fun they're fucking up tycons hindering our speech our limit has been reached don't fucking tread on me fuck participation trophies no child these days ever gets to hear those all-important character building words you lost bobby you lost bobby cannot say man or woman that's their fucking spiel microaggression cultural appropriation gender neutral is their plan How's that make you feel? I'm as mad as hell, mad as hell. Pissed off like the Taliban. The language police. Lingo Nazis. They're fucking myopic pussies. All you snowflakes practice fake outrage. They're all fucking myopic pussies. All you snowflakes practice fake outrage. They're all fucking myopic pussies. All you snowflakes practice fake outrage. They're all fucking myopic pussies. Fucking my epic pussies.
fucking my epic pussies. So say goodnight to the bad guy. The Lawrence Ross Show. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And, you know, I, w- I was thinking about all this change that we have to adapt to nowadays with everybody complaining about this, that, and the other. All these alterations that are being made to the English language. And I figure, you know, it goes back to that age-old adage of, <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them. So this is a little something I cooked up during the night, a little list I wrote out. Uh saying that everything is getting altered these days how about rather than just resist how about if we embrace change and we start by changing the names of household chores with similar illegal activities because it would because i don't know about you but i think for the ladies it would make that uh it would make that writing up that honey you do list pretty damn fun so here are uh here here's what I have uh thus far. Let's see. Uh let's see here. Uh pay the bills is now rob the bank, organize the closet, commit identity theft, help cook dinner, convert to can uh, uh practice cannibalism, <laughs> clean the kitchen, cook some crack. And that actually stems from a uh from an experience that happened to me many years ago. I'll never forget one night I was in the uh I was at my old house in Florida, and I'm just, I don't know, putzing around doing whatever is, uh, you know, you know, you're just, you know, just walking around, and I go in the kitchen, my mom's there, and I say to her, hey, mom, what you making? She goes, crack, and I'm like, whoa, 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 she's like, no, no, relax, relax, it's, it's, it's a dessert. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, that's interesting, there's a, uh, there's a dessert called crack, yeah, that's interesting, what's, what's, uh, um, uh, What's next? A bre- the, uh, what's next? A breakfast cereal called cocaine, or well, like a like a uh, no, like a brand new candy called meth, and you have that as a snack. What the, what the heck is that all about? Anyway, let's see. Clean the oven and or change the smoke alarm. Burn the house down. Clean the carpet. Chop up the pets. Clean the pool. Drown the neighbors. Clean the shed. Shoot a man in the head. Clean the windows, stalk the neighbor's wife, clean the grill, start a grease fire, clean the house, hide the body, paint the house, murder the family, clean the car, drive drunk, wash the car, uh, let's see, uh, commit vehicular, wait, hang on, there's, there's two here. Hit and run. Okay, wash the car is now either hit or run and or commit vehicular manslaughter. Change the oil equals not pay for gas. There you go. Clean the garage is now hide the evidence. Fix the faucet, steal neighbor's water. Fix the toilet is now hide the cocaine. Clean the bathroom is now cook meth. (laughs) Let's see. Clean the bedroom is now kill your spouse. Make the bed is now suffocate the family. Replace light bulbs. Steal from the blind. Change the sheets. Kill a hooker. Recycle. Start a bar fight. Rearrange the furniture. Commit breaking and entering. Dust is now commit extortion. Do the laundry is now stab the family. Bring in the neighbor's mail is now commit mail fraud. Mop the floor is now slaughter the kids. 
Feed the fish. Call a mob hit. Mow the lawn. Butcher the neighbors. Buy groceries. Steal fruit from the homeless and or dine and dash. Pick up kids from school is now kidnap. Go Christmas shopping is now smash and grab. Pick up the in-laws from the airport is now scam the elderly. Power wash the driveway is now kill the mailman. Pull weeds is commit grave robbery. Plant garden, put family in shallow grave. Hang the plants to strangle the kids. And finally, water the plants is drown the kids. There you go. There, there, there are some new ideas. None of those ideas... Wait, wait. None of those ideas will work. And you're a bastard. And somebody needs to investigate your damn hard drive. Creep. You watch too many investigation discovery programs, man. All right. All right, what else do I got here? Okay, I want to roll this, and then in, uh, I want to roll something else here. Nothing from Weird History, and then I got to jump into Radio History because it ties into the end of the show. But nevertheless, here we go about some new coronavirus fears. I'm frankly not too concerned, but still... I think it is a good idea to be on our toes. Alarming new fears about another surge of coronavirus infections here at home and a major setback for one of the vaccines being used worldwide. Tonight, the head of the CDC is pleading with Americans not to travel this spring, saying too many people are still getting infected every day here in the U.S. Now, that stark new warning comes as more states are loosening restrictions, including California and New York, where it was just announced that wedding receptions and other catered events will be allowed again. Now, public health officials tell us they're worried that all of this is happening too fast. And they're pointing to European countries where cases are exploding again, forcing some areas to lock down. Now, as we come on... Oh, man, so they gotta do that all over again. Oy vey. In the air, several countries in Europe are also suspending the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine over concerns about blood clots. So what will that mean for the vaccine here in the U.S.? Well, we've got a lot of new reporting tonight for you and your family. We've got our team of correspondents standing by. CBS this is Manuel Bohorkas is going to lead off our coverage tonight from Miami Beach. Good evening, Manny. Good evening, Nora. The mayor of Miami Beach believes that Florida has lifted so many of its COVID restrictions that visitors here feel wrongly that the virus is no longer a threat. He says the city handed out 7,000 face masks on Saturday, but getting people to wear them when required is something else. Yeah, because some people just don't want to do it. As a matter of fact, there's that story about that Uber passenger who uh, beat up the Uber driver, and of which I might have something for in regards to that story probably next week, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I have, uh, if I can think of something. Anyway, continuing. Tonight, the CDC is warning Americans of another... By the way, I just want to say thanks to my dad. He gave me a little tidbit of information. Bitcoin is actually $56,000 per uh, per coin, so it's now not 8000 like I originally thought it was. You need a bit of research department... COVID surge as people travel for spring break. I'm pleading with you for the sake of our nation's health. These should be warning signs for all of us. Cases climbed last spring. They climbed again in the summer. They will climb now if we stop taking precautions. More than a million travelers passed through the nation's airports on Friday, the highest number since the pandemic began. They're heading south and crowding the coast, including rowdy groups in Miami Beach. We're really uh, swimming upstream when it comes to trying to get people to follow safety practices. That's a concern, especially given that the variants here in South Florida. Yes, and, it, and that's the frightening thing. We, we don't want to become a super spreader. 
Florida has the most known cases of the highly contagious variants nationwide. My biggest concern is that the variants overwhelm our current efforts. So let's be real about what's going on. No spring break for Duke University students. More than 6,000 are locked down on campus after fraternity parties fueled a COVID spread. The university told students if this feels serious, it's because it is. Still nationwide, more restrictions are being lifted. Los Angeles today reopening gyms and indoor dining for the first time since last summer. New York State is now allowing wedding receptions with 50% capacity. All right, so they're getting there, but still we're not out of the fog yet, ladies and gentlemen. So we got a, we, we got a bit of a ways to go, but hopefully when everything is all said and done, hopefully everything will be back to what it once was. All right. It's 820. Okay, 23 minutes past the top of the hour currently. Uh, one again to this from uh, Weird History. This is a thing they did about hygiene during the Black Plague epidemic. And you can take a look at this and look at the parallels as we're experiencing today, and you'll see that there's not much change. Let's get into this. If you were a flea, rat, or louse, the 14th century was a good time to be alive. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on a second. I thought, I thought. I thought a louse meant a drunkard, not 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 a not an animal. If you were a flea, rat, or louse, the 14th century was a good time to be alive because you were thriving in filth. Plus, you had a steady job spreading disease. Yeah, by basically just biting people. A flea would bite a rat that was infected with the plague, and when the flea was hungry for its next meal, it would jump onto a human and bite them, transmitting disease from rat to human. Doctors of the era never identified fleas as a vector for the plague. They didn't have insect repellent back in the day. So people continued to sleep on straw bedding that was teeming with vermin. Ugh, yuck, yicky. Never realizing the risks they were taking for their barely comfy bed. It's, oh, yeah, oh, of course, a barely comfortable bed. No, parents, it's not like it's like Ikea. It's not like a Craftmatic or anything like that. No, it's it's just straw and you got rats and stuff. Oh, no, no thanks, man. That's like, ugh, that, that's... That's no bueno, man. No bueno. No good. No good. Europe wasn't very clean in the 14th century. And no shit. Everything was pretty much covered in grime. Yeah. How much weather must have smelled like? <laughs> Bathing did not occur every day for commoners. However, they knew grime wasn't cool, and most peasants began their day by at least washing their hands and face. Well, they took some sort of precaution, but that was about it. So they just washed their hands and face? That was it? Nothing else? Contrary to the stereotype, medieval Europeans did occasionally take baths. Oh, occasionally take baths. Well, they got like a, well, they got like a calendar or something. Like, okay, fourth Saturday, take a bath. The rich bathed in private tubs, while everyone else visited public baths or dunked in the local stream. Bathing was identified as a treatment for the plague, but instead of bathing in water, some recommended bathing in vinegar and rose water. Oof, I can imagine what that must have felt like on the skin, man. That must have been, oof, pretty bad. The vinegar, anyway. Vinegar, a common medieval medical treatment, was considered a great tool in stopping the plague. Wait, wait, hang on a second. So, so, so vinegar was a common medical tool. So, was that like, so is that like their version of like, uh, like Sudafed? Or, uh, you know, or, uh, um, or NyQuil? <laughs> Robitussin? I don't know. Plague doctors sometimes washed their hands in vinegar or placed vinegar sponges in their masks. And if vinegar wasn't powerful enough for you, you could follow other recommendations to take a bath in your own urine. Yeah, doctor's orders on that? Uh, no thanks. That's a lot of urine. 
But washing in your own urine may sound like a decent option when you realize in medieval times, people had to make their own soap. Jeez. Oh, oh, boy. <laughs> this required a few ingredients. Ashes from an oak tree, tallow, which is animal fat, lime, which was heated to become quicklime, salt, flour, water, a pot, a pan, fire, and a sturdy stick to stir with. Not to mention a few days, and of course, the knowledge of how to put it all together. Oh, man, that must have taken forever in a day. Like it's, like it's like you spend three and a half days, or however long it took, to cook this stuff, and then you had to put it all together. I mean, in all fairness, it's not like they had Dove or Ivy or Men's Care back in the day. They just had, like, I'm not sure if they came in bar form back then, but they had some form of soap. That I mean, at least it was something better than nothing. Yeah, urine looks like an easier option. Unfortunately, it does. It's like it's right there. Didn't smell too pretty, I imagine, but still, I mean, it didn't smell too pretty back then because they, they, you know, they, they, they did not have sewer systems. They didn't have indoor plumbing. None of that stuff. There's actually uh, a part of England in 1858 where it just stank like real bad. I'll, I, I, I'm, a, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find that clip one of these days and play that for y'all. Oh gosh. Tell me when you're gonna do it so I can be out of the studio when you play it. Yeah, you too. Even if you did practice superior hygiene, that didn't protect you from harm. In some areas, the Jewish population had a mortality rate lower than their neighboring Christians. This okay. was likely because of their sanitary traditions. We are very clean. Instead of learning a few simple lessons from their healthy neighbors, Christians went with more complicated and decidedly brutal ideas. Some Christians believed Jews were resistant to the plague, accused them of tainting wells to spread the disease, and some felt the plague was actually punishment from God for allowing Jews to openly live in their community as, well, Jews. Wow, so anti-Semitic sentiments were expressed even back in the 14th century. <whistles> Still happens today, folks. It still happens today. This led some Christians on a mission to convert, exile, torture, and sometimes kill their Jewish neighbors. This despite several popes declaring Jews had nothing to do with the plague. But mobs aren't known for the listening skills. Jewish communities were vilified, oppressed, and individuals were compelled to confess to nefarious deeds that they did not commit. That's a false confession. We call that today false confession, folks. Just to avoid punishment, which didn't always save them. According to the Nuremberg Chronicle, in 1348, all the Jewish residents in Germany were burned, having been accused of poisoning the wells, as many of them confessed. In hindsight, it looks a lot like the lower infection rates were because Jewish hygiene practices required more hand-washing than the Christian counterparts. Hand-washing. Yeah, that seems more probable than God's wrath. Yeah, what a novel idea, you know, just get some soap, get some water, run your hands under it for 20 seconds, boom, you're back in business. Instead of God's wrath, man, you know, instead, you know, instead of like, hey, you know, you, you guys did this. It's like, no, we didn't. It's like, eh, tough, tough crap. We're going to kill you anyway. Yeah, real nice Christians. Yeah, real nice Christians. Yeah, my ass. Doctors in the 14th century had no idea how to effectively treat the plague. Yeah, no shit. And in fact, many of their treatments actually spread the disease. Uh-oh. <laughs> Thanks a lot, you quacks. For example, plague sufferers experienced swelling in their lymph nodes, called buboes. Doctors recommended... Buboes? <laughs> what? 
Uh, Sir, you have a boobo over here. Doctors recommended cutting open the buboes and draining the pus to let the disease leave the body. Oh, yeah. Like, that's really going to work, man. It, It did not work, unfortunately. Then to the wound, they would apply a mixture of plant roots. Sounds good. Resin. Seems reasonable. And dried feces. Yeah, that ruined it. Ew, oh, jeez. Yuck. <laughs> hey, I mean, I know they had to work with what they had, but jeez. Couldn't they have been a little bit more sanitary about it? Well, in all fairness, this is the 14th century where everyone around, everybody else was dying. So it's a little tough to be sanitary when you're in these conditions. And never wanting to be wasteful, some recommended collecting the drained pus from the buboes to drink. An almost certainly fatal suggestion. Do Iowa co-pay for this? <laughs> oh, jeez, man. It's not like, you know, I mean, th- thankfully they're not recommending stuff like this today, man. Fearing contamination, Europeans tried to avoid infection. But it wasn't just the walking afflicted that had to be dodged. Yeah, they didn't have social distancing back then. They, they, they didn't know to stand six feet apart from each other. It was also the dead. They were everywhere. Bring out your dead! Bring out your dead! But I'm not dead yet, sir! Bring out your dead! So I can visit that scene in uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. We get the reference! Yeah, okay, sure. Dick. Towns and cities struggled to dispose of the overwhelming number of cadavers during the plague. According to 14th what, they run out of coffins? 14th century Italian writer Giovanni Boccaccio, many perished daily or nightly in the public streets. Of many others who perished at home, the departure was hardly observed by their neighbors until the stench carried the tidings. Oh, geez, I can only imagine. I can imagine what it must have been like, you know, a couple of people in those, in those little places. Haven't heard from Jeffrey in a couple of days, must say. Haven't heard from the chap. Supposed to go out and go check out this this new thing we're supposed to do. Oh dear, looks like Jeffrey's bit the big one. Another chronicler in Florence wrote, All the citizens did little else except to carry the slain to be buried. Europeans had some things figured out and established sanitation policies to bury infected bodies in mass graves. These were to be located outside of town and in deep pits. But deep is relative, and keeping up with the body count was a never-ending task. Oh, jeez. I can imagine what that body count must have been like. You know, some guy, some guy, some guy having to count all those bodies up, and then and then, then, there, then there's one guy standing right next to the bodies, and it's like, uh, you know, and, and, and then all of a sudden he just falls flat, dead on his face, and then it's like, wait a second, do we count him as well? Yes, you gotta count him too. Oh, man, that, that, that seems like an, an, an that seems like such an, an an inenviable task. Some cities were so overwhelmed that dogs dragged cadavers back into town through the streets. According to 14th century chronicler Agnolo di Tura, some of the burial sites were so sparsely covered with earth that the dogs dragged cadavers forth and devoured many. Bad dog. Before indoor plumbing, human waste created a public health crisis. In the 14th century, townsfolk might share one toilet among dozens of households. Oh, jeez. Ugh. <laughs> I remember that old, there was an old commercial for Geico back in the day, and it was, it was this mock trailer where this guy's like, nine people, one house, one bathroom. 
<laughs> it was something like that. I, I, I'd have to go track it down, but either way. Oh, excuse me. Pardon me. Is this seat taken? <laughs> Heavy rains and floods caused community cesspits to overflow, which sent human waste cascading into the local water supply. Ooh, drink up. Ugh, no thanks. And if you didn't even like the idea of going to a place called the cesspit, much less the long walk to get there to dispose of your waste, many emptied their chamber pots directly into the street. Excuse me, governor. Rats are not picky and will eat any food. Excuse me, governor. Rats are not picky and will eat any food they can find, even discarded or undigested food mingled with feces. Mmm, yum yum for rats, man. <laughs> I remember, I remember there's a great there's a great line from George Carlin where he was talking about the extreme nature of human behavior, and one of the topics he brought up was necrophilia and he says it, it, it is it, it is thing is that only humans will do that because a rat will do a lot of disgusting things but it will never occur to a rat to fuck another dead rat <laughs> then he has another great line where he says the best part about necrophilia you don't have to bring flowers they're usually already there <laughs> very sentimental george so these open sewers attracted rats with their friends, the fleas, along with other vermin, all of whom were partners in disease transmission. Having begun to see the connection between effluence and disease, England's parliament tried to stop people from dumping waste into the water supply. I can imagine what that memo, said, uh, I can imagine what that memo must have sounded like. Dear governors and governesses, please refrain from dumping tainted water... Please refrain from dumping feces into the water supply. Ding! Cheerio! In 1388, the body declared, So much dung and filth of the garbage and entrails be cast and put into ditches, rivers, and other waters, that the air there is grown greatly corrupt and infected, and many maladies and other intolerable diseases do daily happen. Do daily happen. <laughs> I've never just do daily happen. Is, is is it a British phrase I've never heard of before? In the 14th century, Europeans believed foul smells spread disease. Oh, jeez. Man, what, what what did they not believe back then? They believe anything. You're gullible. In an attempt to combat the plague, they carried sweet-smelling flowers and pomanders, which are small scented objects, to cleanse the air. What if that was like the earliest version of Old Spice? <laughs> the plague doctor costume became emblematic of the era. The bird-like mask worn by doctors held dried roses, herbs like mint, or spices thought to protect against infection. Doctors donned the mask in a full body covering when treating victims of the plague. The outlandish outfit may have indeed warded against infection, though not because of the herbs and spices. Being covered head to toe meant the doctors had unknowingly... Herbs and spices. Now I'm hungry for KFC. Ew. Ew. Oh, God. Ew. You're just... You're disgusting, man. You're gross, man. Doctors had unknowingly invented a medieval hazmat suit. Even meant the doctors had unknowingly invented a medieval hazmat suit. <laughs> now you can just get one for fairly reasonable price. You can just go to your, you know, you go to it, you know, go get one. In the 14th century, civilization had not yet reached the age of production. It, it, no kidding. And consumers had little variety from which to choose. Not so for the Black Plague. You had a choice. 
The plague came in not one, but three varieties. Uh-oh, three ways to die. Bubonic, pneumonic, and septicemic. Bubonic plague spread via flea bites and infected the lymphatic system. Pneumonic plague infected the lungs after inhaling aerosolized bacteria. And we thought those vape cigarettes were bad. And septicemic is when the bacteria infects the blood through direct exposure or via lungs or lymphatic system. If you were unlucky, you contracted the bubonic plague, which had a survival rate between 25 and 75%. Okay, 25 and 75%. All right, so, uh, all right, so... So it doesn't seem that bad, but still, you got, you'd have to keep on your toes. Okay. If you were very unlucky, you were infected with the pneumonic plague, which had a survival rate between 5 and 10%. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's like card sharks. It's going down. And if you were very, very unlucky, you contracted the septicemic plague. Which you probably might have just... Which, if that happened, you probably should have planned your funeral right then and there. Which had a survival rate of, well... It really didn't have a survival rate. It was virtually unstoppable. It had a mortality rate of 99 to 100%. Wait, a mortality rate of 99 to 100%. Okay. Well, what about the 0.00000000001% that you might live? But I guess not. Interestingly, despite hundreds of years of medical advancements, the septicemic plague is almost always fatal, even today. A silver lining to the septicemic plague is that it's difficult to catch. What do you think you got an immune system for? It needs germs to practice on! Of course, if you do something silly, it increases your odds. Bloodletting was one of the most popular medical treatments in the 14th century. Doctors often treated fevers by bleeding their patients to remove heat from the body. And bleeding was used on plague patients. Hey, they didn't have they didn't have that little didn't have that little alligator spoon looking thing with the uh with the diamond tap or the benadryl in it for you oh right down you know right down the hatch <laughs> they didn't have that they, they decided okay he's got a fever let's bleed him dry put some leeches on him go 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 doctors believed partially correctly that the plague infected the blood as a result they recommended cutting open veins to let the disease leave the body. Ow, jeez. In all fairness, they didn't have anesthetic back then, so you were awake while they did this, more than likely. Ooh, that had to hurt. However, the medical treatment also exposed doctors and others to the septicemic plague. Very, very, very bad luck. <laughs> Stop it, a whammy. In the 14th century, Europeans often laid straws or rushes on their floors. I think of rushes. I know it's straws. What the the rushes? The hell is that? Straw covered up the dirt floor in poor people's homes. While wildflowers were sometimes added to the rushes and the top layer changed occasionally, the bottom layers might remain for decades. Oh, jeez. You know, fairness, they didn't have a maid service back then. They didn't. Yeah, it's something else. In the 16th century, Erasmus, a Dutch philosopher and Christian scholar, was disturbed to find that in many homes, the bottom layer is left undisturbed, sometimes for 20 years, harboring expectoration, vomiting, the leakage of dogs and men, ale droppings, scraps of fish, and other abominations not fit to be mentioned. Today, that's an episode of Hoarders on A&E. These putrid rushes exhaled a vapor that was harmful to the health, Erasmus declared. They also attracted rodents and let bacteria flourish. It was an all-inclusive vacation resort for the plague.
When the Black Plague struck, Europeans knew the disease was contagious. In some areas, cities tried to turn away ships that had visited infected areas to protect their population. In 1348, Venice became the first to enforce a 30-day isolation period for ships and travelers to make sure they weren't infected. In later outbreaks of the plague, the city extended the isolation to 40 days, giving birth to the term quarantine from the Italian quaranta, meaning 40. Oh, did I know that? Now, 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 it all, now it all makes sense. It's starting to make sense now. Unfortunately, even these efforts failed to stop the spread of the disease. Tens of thousands still perished in Venice. The doctor to Pope Clement VI, Guy de Choliac, said the epidemic shamed Europe's doctors. They dared not visit the sick for fear of being infected, and when they did visit them, they did hardly anything for them. It's like in that opening scene of the movie Outbreak when the guy when the guy's describing the uh, when he's describing the symptoms. There's a guy and he's telling him, "Look, man, you're going to see it in about 12 hours." De Choliac instructed Pope Clement VI to sit alone between two bonfires. The doctor claimed this treatment would cleanse the air and prevent infection. The fires may have had the unintended effect of keeping plague-ridden rats at bay, but combined with its forced isolation, it kept the Pope plague-free. The Black Plague wiped out tens of millions of Europeans, but history's deadliest epidemic had a surprising benefit. It did? In, 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 what, in what way? At least to those who survived. Okay. According to research by Dr. Sharon DeWitt, the plague improved the health and lifespan of people who lived through the epidemic. Oh, okay. Maybe because they built up an immunity to it? I don't know. For 200 years afterward, people's diets improved, and they lived longer than pre-plague Europeans. Scholars point to several potential explanations for the improvements. The smaller population following the plague enjoyed higher wages and cheaper food prices, which helps explain the better diets. And survivors of the plague might have been hardier, since the plague eliminated so many people. <laughs> oh, jeez, it's so wild that they put that in the end there. Yeah, it might have been hardier because it eliminated so many people. Well, maybe. We don't have to deal with people. Oh, my gosh, it's 45 minutes past the top of the hour. And I uh, I really got to jump into this because it's, let's see, where is it? Okay. Here we go. And this one is, uh, this one's kind of personal for me. So here we go. Get on the microphone in a serious manner. The Howard Stern Show. Hey now. The Phil Hendry Show. I love Phil Hendry. And all the other radio shows in between. Have a bad night. <laughs> it's time for Radio History with Lawrence Ross. All right. So this past, no, yeah, it was actually yesterday. Yesterday marked the one year anniversary when radio personality Scott Ledger passed away at the age of 58. And I knew Scott a little bit here and there. And uh, my first exposure to Scott was he got a show on RadioIO.com on on one of the Bubba the Love Sponge channels, a show called Dangerous Conversation. And when it first started out, it was a weekly, it was, it was a Friday, it was a Friday night thing, three hours, or, yeah, it was, it was three hours of him and his friends talking about conspiracy theories, uh, government cover-ups, this, that, and the other, and, and just, and, and, and other topics as well. I mean, you know, it wasn't all serious stuff. There, there were some laughs on that show, 
And uh, Scott, from what I uh, from what I from what I can gather, he was it was a really nice guy. Hung out with him a couple of times, and uh, this is my favorite story that he told me. Uh, back in 1994, he was at Radio Row, not for the Super Bowl, but rather for um, Disney when they opened up the Tower of Terror ride. Bunch of radio stations were there to promote it. So he's there at his booth doing radio for 98 Rock in Tampa. Off to his right is Phil Hendry doing his thing for 610 WIOD. And Scott told me that when he got off the air that day, he was walking back to his hotel and he was observing Phil doing his thing. And he said to himself, man, you got a lot to learn about this industry, buddy. And Scott was the afternoon guy in Nanny at Rock for many years. And then he, uh, uh, then he bounced around to various stations and things of that nature. And then, as I said earlier, he came to RadioIO.com. So we actually had, and, and uh, Scott was actually on the program a couple of times. I have two extra, I have two instances of that. I have three excerpts from one part and one excerpt from another part, which I have attached to the outro because I think it's very important. Uh, this is, this is Scott talking about what made the show Dangerous Conversation great as a whole in regards to interviews and things of that nature. So here we go. It depends on the category. If you're talking entertainment and music and stuff like that, you know, Daryl McDaniels run DMC for 90 minutes talking about old school hip hop. But then you get into neuroscience and, you know, someone like Cara Santa Maria, where we talk everything from near death experiences to, uh, you know, ayahuasca and the experience of the inner experience inside the brain. And then you go to people that are pushing the paradigm, like Dennis Hoff, you know, uh, you know over there in Nevada with legalized prostitution. So I think the interviews have a lot to do with the topics it's not anyone in particular but i will say honestly and i I have to pay kudos to both brad friedman and jason burmas because they were my regulars and they never mailed it in every week they brought great content Uh, i didn't kiss their ass and what i loved about it is they didn't kiss mine either and so those regulars are what make a show great yeah but it is the it, I, the the thing I'm most proud about when it comes to dangerous conversation is there was no topic that was off the table, so we could talk anything. So it has a lot to do not necessarily with the specific person you talk to, but how edgy the actual content, what specifically you're talking about. And if you look at you know the three almost 300 interviews I did on that show, you'll see that we hit to almost every field there was. There was nothing truly outside the box. All right, so there we go with that. And speaking of being outside the box, uh, Scott was a very out-of-the-box kind of a thinker. And one evening, this was in October 2006, because uh, he mentioned, because uh, uh, he mentions, uh, not by name, but he briefly mentions in this excerpt, Corey Little. Corey Little used to play for the New York Yankees, and he had died in a plane crash around this time. So that particular evening, Scott was on his way to do a radio show and well, it led to this. I was doing a night show at 620 The Sports Animal, just a, a show called Out on the Ledge. Uh, I had a decent crew of people. We did some sports talk about three nights a week. We were preempted by live sports probably twice a week. The same time he was on the channel, uh, he was talking about he was he was talking about terrorism. And I don't know if you remember, but there was I think it was one of the New York Yankees or someone. Uh, there was a plane that flew into a building somewhere up the Hudson River. I remember when this was. This was in, I think it was like 2006. It was like October, I think. Yes, okay. And I said, 
Isn't it funny how they could get a video of a Cessna hitting an apartment building, but I still don't have any decent real footage of the plane hitting the Pentagon because they had 85 cameras surrounding the Pentagon. So I kind of went off on a little bit of a rant, and that rant happened on a Tuesday, and I got fired on Friday. And that, well, the reason why was because when I heard was when he was on his way to the sports bar to do the show, uh, I guess the manager had gotten a call ahead or, or someone uh, or Somebody at the station called that and said, hey, look, man, Scott Ledger's on his way, man. You want me to change the station to uh, sports? And apparently nobody did, and they just left George W. Bush on talking about something. So now here's an excerpt where uh, we find out that Ledge, he was very no-holds-barred, and uh, it, didn't matter to you, it didn't matter to him what his relation was with you. He would give it to you straight no matter which way you looked at it. And this is an excerpt where he basically cuts, uh, 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 well, just listen to this. I'm all about religious freedom. Be and pray to whoever you need to. I've said this thousands and thousands of times. I don't care who you pray to. I do care what it turns you into. That's more important. And the same thing with drugs. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not, I never tell anybody you should do a drug, but God damn it, you can't tell me I can't. The people that want to do drugs... Sometimes the weak ones need to do drugs and they need to die out. Wait a minute. What? Just because I want to uh, do mushrooms or, or do acid, that makes me weak? Explain yeah. that. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, what makes you think drugs or THC can never kill you? Alcohol can kill you. Aspirin can kill you. Yep. All right? You can overdose on aspirin, but you can't overdose on cannabis. So, you know, the whole idea of people that want to experience their own ride on their own terms doesn't make them weak. It makes them stronger. They're actually saying, fuck you. It's my path. I will choose what I want to do. Stick your nose in your own dugout. That doesn't make somebody weak. And in fact, I consider those people far more emotionally strong no, no, because they're willing they're willing to stand up to the status quo and say, no thanks, I'm not going to be another sheep. I'm going to do what I want to do. I like being the black sheep, so fuck you. Well, that, that's true. When it comes to things like shrooms and marijuana, that's fine. I'm mainly talking about the drug laws we have dealing with amphetamines and... You know, so what drugs, Thomas, what drugs have you done? Give me a I list. I've done none. Oh, so you have so you have no opinion. Basically, you have an opinion. Now, wait a minute. You have an opinion about drugs, but you've never done any. Right. Yeah, that's incredibly hypocritical, isn't it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and uh, well, almost out of time here, but let me just uh, just say to everybody, thank you so much for listening to the program. Greatly appreciate it. And remember, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Lawrence Ross. See with your heart and do good. Now, here is Scott Ledger's message to Sean Raspatel, the man who gave the man who gave me a platform to do this program live every damn week. And Sean, thank you for that, man. Scott Ledger, rest in fucking peace. Rest easy, and hopefully I'll see you on the other side and keep that on-air sign in the sky lit for me, brother, because we had some great times behind the microphone and also just hanging out like dudes, man. 
Anyway, now here is Scott Ledger's thank you message to Sean Respitello from RazFest 2014. That's going to go right into the out row. I'm Lawrence Ross. Again, see you with your heart. Do good. And I'll see you next Friday. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Sean Raz, the whole reason we're here this weekend. Um, his dad did radio in Philly for years. You know, hey, it's time for the Motown Top 40. You know, <laughs> you know, everybody has roots, and Raz has his roots. And Raz, you know, he kind of found me on IO and sent me. Uh, he was one of the original, uh, I guess you could say, satellite producers who found me a guest or two. He sent me songs to play. And our hearts melded together. He was he was, he was what all human beings need to be. Questioners. Open-minded thinkers. Uh, you know, now they call us conspiracy theorists because they have no other name and they, and, they, and they try to put us in a box. But guess what? You know, physics and 9-11. I'll challenge you any day, all day with that. And Sean Raz did that. And regardless of, of how it's affected his, his personal life or my personal life, you know what? This is what pushes conversation forward. Right here, this piece of electronics didn't exist in 1980. There was no way this channel could have existed way back when I got my start in radio. And the most beautiful part, of what I see happening in front of me as I look around and I see Amber over here, she does her own show, and I see all these people. You know what? I see the forward progression of consciousness, the forward progression of people asking questions, and you know what? I sit back every night and I go, it may not work perfectly financially for us right now. You know what? But trailblazers, that's our job. Our job is to push the question. The results are murky. The... The response is negative and angry, but guess what? Fuck you, the double tall boys. God bless Sean Raz and Raz Radio. Because because it's not about talent. Everybody has talent. Everybody has ability. Everybody has uh, charisma. Uh, We all need to be nudged in that, but you know what? It takes balls to stand up. And say, you know what? I disagree. I'm in a room of followers and I disagree. And that is Sean Rass. You are the motherfucking Antichrist! You've been listening to The Lawrence Ross Show. Email the show, blindlawrence at gmail.com. There's a letter in your mailbox. Follow him on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all ending in forward slash blindlawrence. Be careful of the fucking wall! Check out his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Lawrence Ross. Become a fan of the show on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash lross1987. I'll send your shiny happy ass a friend request. Rate and subscribe to the show on iTunes or follow the show on Spotify. I search Lawrence Ross. Get out and take your Sacagawea dollars with you. This week's edition of the Lawrence Ross Show has just hit the brakes. Keep your ugly fucking gold bricking ass out of my beach community. You lose! Good day, sir! I was making radio shows for fun. Everybody does it. At least everybody I know does. Shut up! And baba booey to y'all. <laughs>